Salutations from space. This is Gemini Brett of More Than Astrology. Today is Friday, Viernes, Venus's Day, August 21st, 2015. And the bright light of the goddess is about to rise in the morning sky to dance the riddle of the Leo mysteries for 19 months as she dances with earth and sun. And we will dance along in this 13th flower journey of feeling and healing that will feature teachers from all walks of the way. Today, we will hear from Adam Gainsbourg, genius astrologer and author of The Light of Venus, just after we hear a reading from the first chapter of Anana, Queen of Heaven and Earth, featuring the original music of Maria Stark. You can find a video version with charts and art and animations from Elijah Parker at morethanastrology.com. In the first days, in the very first days, in the first nights, in the very first nights, in the first years, in the very first years, in the first days when everything needed was brought into being, in the first days when everything needed was properly nourished, when bread was baked in the shrines of the land and bread was tasted in the homes of the land. When heaven had moved away from earth and earth had separated from heaven and the name of man was fixed. When the sky god An had carried off the heavens and the air god Enlil had carried off the earth. When the queen of the great below, Ereshkigal, was given the underworld for her domain. He set sail. The father set sail. Enki, the god of wisdom, set sail for the Abzu. Small windstones were tossed up against him. Large hailstones were hurled up against him. Like onrushing turtles, they charged the keel of Enki's boat. The waters of the sea devoured the bow of his boat like wolves. The waters of the sea struck the stern of his boat like lions. At that time, a tree, a single tree, a halupu tree, was planted by the banks of the Euphrates. The tree was nurtured by the waters of the Euphrates. The whirling south wind arose, pulling at its roots and ripping at its branches until the waters of the Euphrates carried it away. A woman who walked in fear of the word of the sky god On who walked in fear of the word of the air god Enlil, plucked the tree from the river and spoke, I shall bring this tree to Uruk. I shall plant this tree in my holy garden. Anana cared for the tree with her hand. 
She settled the earth around the tree with her foot. She wondered, how long will it be until I have a shining throne to sit upon? How long will it be until I have a shining bed to lie upon? The years passed, five years, then ten years. The tree grew thick, but its bark did not split. Then a serpent who could not be charmed made its nest in the roots of the Hulupu tree. The Anzu bird set his young in the branches of the tree, and the dark maid Lilitu built her home in the trunk. The young woman who loved to laugh wept. How Anana wept, yet they would not leave her tree. As the birds began to sing at the coming of the dawn, the sun god Utu left his royal bedchamber. Anana called to her brother Utu, saying, O Utu, in the days when the fates were decreed, when abundance overflowed in the land, when An took the heavens and Enlil the earth, when Arishkigal was given the great below for her domain, Father Enki set sail for the Abzu, and the Abzu rose up and attacked him. At that time, a tree, a single tree, a halupu tree was planted by the banks of the Euphrates. The south wind pulled at its roots and ripped at its branches until the waters of the Euphrates carried it away. I plucked the tree from the river. I brought it to my holy garden. I tended the tree, waiting for my shining throne and bed. Then a serpent who could not be charmed made its nest in the roots of the tree. The Anzu bird set his young in the branches of the tree, and the dark maid Lilitu built her home in the trunk. I wept, how I wept, yet they would not leave my tree. Utu, the valiant warrior Utu, would not help his sister Anana. As the birds began to sing at the coming of the second dawn, Anana called to her brother Gilgamesh, saying, O Gilgamesh, in the days when the fates were decreed, when abundance overflowed in Sumer, when An had taken the heavens and Enlil the earth, when Ereshkigal was given the great below for her domain, Enki, the god of wisdom, Father Enki, set sail for the Abzu, and the Abzu rose up and attacked him. At that time a tree, a single tree, a halupu tree, was planted by the banks of the Euphrates. The south wind pulled at its roots and ripped at its branches until the waters of the Euphrates carried it away. I plucked the tree from the river. I brought it to my holy garden. I tended the tree, waiting for my shining throne and bed. Then a serpent who could not be charmed made its nest in the roots of the tree. The Anzu bird set his young in the branches of the tree, and the dark maid Lilitu built her home in the trunk. I wept, how I wept, yet they would not leave my tree. Gilgamesh the valiant warrior Gilgamesh, the hero of Uruk, stood by Anana. Gilgamesh fastened his armor of fifty minas around his chest. The fifty minas weighed as little to him as fifty feathers. He lifted his bronze axe, 
the axe of the road weighing seven talents and seven minas to his shoulder, he entered Anana's holy garden. Gilgamesh struck the serpent who could not be charmed. The Anzu bird flew with his young to the mountains, and Lilitu smashed her home and fled to the wild, uninhabited places. Gilgamesh then loosened the roots of the Hulupu tree, and the sons of the city who accompanied him cut off the branches. From the trunk of the tree he carved a throne for his holy sister. From the trunk of the tree Gilgamesh carved a bed for Anana. From the roots of the tree she fashioned a puku for her brother. From the crown of the tree Anana fashioned a miku for Gilgamesh, the hero of Earth. Salutations from space, folks. This is Gemini Brett, the astrolonaut and trickster storyteller of more than astrology. And this is the first chapter of a new project that I've taken on with my dear friend and magical musician, Marius Stark, who you heard playing the role of Anana in that chapter, which was a reading from a translation of the Sumerian tablets by Diane Wolkstein and Samuel Kramer from their book, Anana, Queen of Heaven and Earth. Now, I met Maria on Valentine's Day of 2015 at an incredible place called Wonderland in Portland. And I was there to give a, a talk called The 13th Flower, which is developing now into this project and uh it was a tricky time down there because bina who this project is is livicated to um had transitioned from this world uh when venus was in the underworld last year we're going to talk about that some today with a very amazing astrologer um and I heard about this man who is Adam Gainsburg, first at Wonderland. Actually, I probably had heard his name a few times before I was there, but I remember I was outside with Elijah Parker, who created the animations you were watching while hearing that Anana story telling. And I was out kind of pointing out some of the planets and stars to him. He said, man, I have never seen an astrologer so committed to the sky since Adam Gainsburg. So, all right, there's that name again. And this is a guy I have to meet. And it's my great pleasure to have met Adam since then. And it's my absolute honor to have Adam Gainsburg on the line with us now to talk about the 13th flower and the Venus synodic cycles. Hello, Adam. How in the heavens are you? Very, very grateful to be here with you, Brad. It's my pleasure. Um, Adam, I was, we, we had a little date last night. I'm not sure if you felt it, but I was drinking some tea and I had a candle lit and I was listening to some of your meditations and reading through this wonderful book of yours once again called The Light of Venus. And uh, we're going to get into that, but I wanted to pour you a cup of tea. Thank so you. I picked out a, a special cup. This is the, oh. the Venus cup for you, right? Yeah. And I guess I'll just drink your cup at the end since... You're on the East Coast, and I'm a few time zones away. 
<laughs> All right, so the moon is currently in the sign of Libra, but in a Leo cycle, new moon was August 14th, 2015. And the day after, in many senses, we had a new Venus, the Venus-Sun interior conjunction in the 23rd degree of Leo. And uh, we only have one of these every 584 days or every 19 months. And this is one of my great passions as an investigative astrologer and one of Adam's as well. In fact, this book, The Light of Venus, is something I highly recommend for so many purposes. Um, so one thing I read in, in this book, Adam, is how you came to Western astrology in a sense um, in the Shamanic Astrology Mystery School as I did. Um, because it's a sky astrology course, and you, as our friend Gary Caton, um, and many others more and more now are really returning to a living connection to the sky as astrologers. And I was wondering if you could just speak to me about that. How I came in, yeah. Um, well, I describe it somewhat in the book where when I was a kid, I grew up on the Jersey Shore, and I was always terrified when I would go camping about how big the sky was. I'm talking as a, you know, as a, as a small child and, and it was always just too big, something too much. It was like, it was like too exposed. It was too, there wasn't enough barrier or buffer. So long story short, years and years and years and years later, I'm an astrologer who practices from an emphasis and experience both with clients and with a lot of sky watching time under my belt. Um, and that's what really informs me. So for me, I have gotten my major inspirations from sky experience. That means just laying myself underneath dark skies or brightly lit skies with not a lot of light pollution, good horizons, at the right latitude, looking in the right direction, etc. And just letting inspiration come and letting myself be challenged in some of my beliefs or experiences and then bringing those insights which are kind of raw and rough into my client work and seeing if it actually plays out the 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 understandings of the new possible interpretations actually plays out with the people that come to me for readings or for counseling so that's kind of my one two I, I get information from my direct experience or with a few others, and then I bring it in so that I know that it's not just my projection of what truth is. It's, it's more viable for people that might be very, very different than me personally, these would be my clients. So that's yeah. where the basic structure of the 13-phase system that I have comes from. The places where I demarcate one phase from another some of which are classic and come from antiquity, but others of which might seem somewhat random uh, or somewhat um, um, without a basis, but they actually come from a lot of client work, a lot of hundreds or thousands of hours in with people and seeing that a person born here doesn't exhibit the same qualities as a person born even just three days later because the Sun and Venus have made a different elongational relationship with each other. They've separated more in those three days, or they've come closer together in those three days. So that's really where my phase system um, for Venus, like Venus phases comes from. 
Yeah, there's this kind of running joke right now in the community that it used to be, what's your sign, baby? And then it was, what's your Venus sign? And now it's, what's your phase? Yes. I think a lot of that is owed to your work. Um, <laughs> yeah, and speaking about that living connection to the sky, you know, I mean, that's my practice as well. Um, yes. And so much opens that way. I like to compare it to music. I compare many things to music because that was my last life in this current life. And mm. yeah, I learned to play saxophone by this is a G and this is an E and this is a quarter note and this is what this sounds like. And then later I had to learn to be a musician, you know, jamming with people and that all goes away. Oh, yeah. And had to open up the ear in that real intuitive sense that's more of the natural thing. Mm. So the greatest musicians that I know they came up just learning with their ear. They learned to play music. And I mean, so many of the great musicians like the Beatles never learned to read, you know, right. but the greatest musicians I know, they came into it intuitively and then they added the intellectual piece, the theory to support what they had found intuitively before. And I feel that in my own astrological practice, I have so much more confidence here than I ever had in music, not only because it's most likely my, my dharma and my service in this world, because I feel so much that I've come home, um, mm -hmm. but that because it's that way, I mean, I, I had looked through some of the shamanic astrology handbook and had had a reading with Daniel um, in November of 2012, but when I was down in Peru in December of 2012, and I had this like four hour conversation with Jupiter and whether it was schizophrenia or not, I don't really care because that's when <laughs> astrology returned to me and I returned to it. And so, you know, I, I feel now that Mercury is kind of my main teacher, even though I still study with, with Daniel and I'm studying with Gary and all sorts of people and, and my research is endless, including reading these great books like yours. Thank you. And, you know, that story that you mentioned, there's another piece of it that I think is really important to bring in here. Because you talk about how that fear of the big dark sky um, and how present that was. I mean, it's like two sentences that you share, but you can really feel your heart in those words. And you talk about facing that fear mm -hmm. and kind of um, uh, there's this sentence you write about this mantra that it sounded like you had that I'm uh, what was it? I'm afraid and that's OK. I'm safe. Yeah, uh, um, I'm not remembering the exact words, but yeah, something like that. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm safe to feel afraid or something like that. Yeah, and that's so beautiful. And so going into those dark places, right, because this Venus journey can very much be about that. It can be a, a, a time of kind of cleansing and reassembling and retrieving, you know, restructuring ourselves and going into some of those dark places to find the light on the other side of the tunnel can be so important. So this courage that you expressed, you know, at whatever age it was that you started really facing that fear and just going out for nights under the open sky. Mm -hmm. um, this is the courage that I'm talking about to really dive into an intimate relationship with some of these cycles and really mine the value that they have for us. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not one of these fate-based astrologers that, you know, we are just dancing to the gravitational or electromagnetic effects of these big balls in the sky. You know, I feel that this is very much a living relationship with very conscious partners in this earth game out here, our, our brothers and sisters out there. So there's an, another thing that I gleaned last night from um, one of your meditation CDs, because not only are you a 
astrological author and researcher and consultor, but uh, there's this meditation practice that comes in. And uh, one thing that you said, and this was in the, the Deep Heart Meditation CD that's available on your site, which I should share now, that's soulsign.com. Go check it out. But this is from uh, your Deep Heart Meditation CD. It's not just about changing the emotional state or releasing yourself from something you don't want to be feeling. That's not meditation. In some ways, that's escape. Yeah. And I think that's a, a very valuable place for us to enter into this starry story of Anana. Mm. So Anana is this amazing tale regardless, but why it's so amazing to we astrologers and especially we sky astrologers who watch these dances of the planets is that this story is keyed to the Venus synodic cycle or Venus's 19 month dance with earth and sun mm -hmm. and this was brought forth in many ways by daniel jamario in a mountain astrologer article in 1997 so i often hear people referencing that when i talk to them about this cycle but that's because daniel was out in the desert watching the sky and so a lot of us will talk about the descent of anana into the underworld and her ascent from the underworld which traces the venus dance of the sky but there's these kind of prequels to the book and this reading, the Halupu tree is the first. And this really speaks about the time that we are in right now in the Venus cycle. Today is August 17th, 2015, Monday, the day of the moon, which is in Libra. So it's a wonderful time to be speaking about Venus. And in this prequel, Anana moves the Halupu tree from the banks of the Euphrates to her home in Uruk. And we're talking about moving the tree from the west to the east. And this is Venus, who is now retrograde now, transitioning from having spent almost nine months as an evening star and now under the beams of the sun. And today, east of the sun, though still unseen, too close to the glare to be seen by our eyes quite yet. It'll be maybe another week when she will rise in the east and a new goddess and a new quest is born. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, one thing about that, that quote that you pull out from the Deep Heart Meditation is um, it totally applies to this particular time about um, how meditation is often seen, especially Westerners, because as a culture, we have no historical reference to the long, long thousands of years tradition of meditation like that some in the East do. So we don't really know what it is. So we use the word and we apply it to something. In the same way, we don't really have a relationship with this, um, this dyad of Venus. We want Venus to be about peace, love, harmony. We don't want her to be about discord, war, conflict. You know, And so that's our preference, understandable, but it's our bias. And in that bias, we're turning away half of our awareness to the other side of this other part of us, which is Venus. I mean, Venus is the sister planet of the earth. We are sisters, we are siblings. We can say like, even in the Mayan myth, the hero twins, you can see that as a Earth-Venus relationship in some ways. So, um, so the quote, I love how you pulled it out. It's not directly related because it's about that particular meditational form the deep heart meditation that I 
do. But it very much applies, like you say, to this time right now where we are really changing so much. We're changing things we don't even see. We're, we're, we're being changed to something we, that is out of our control. Venus coming out of the Western to the Eastern is one way of seeing it, but it's one whole cycle to the next cycle. That's a that's a, a paradigmatic shift. That's like a that's like a different kind of rain cloud under which we're walking around, either dancing in the rain or walking underneath an umbrella. It's not just changing umbrellas, it's changing the type of rainstorm that we're underneath. We're changing yeah. the, the kind of sunlight that we're bathing in on the shore, you know, changing the kind of snow that's falling, the kind of uh, storm front that's producing pr- precipitation. It's like that big level. Like so, for me, this shift that we're doing right now—that, like you said, happens every 19 months—it um, takes a while, in my experience, to make the transition. And you know, pioneers like yourself, who are putting out these incredible materials, being pulled from different areas—music, astrology, uh, meditation, mythology, history, anthropology—you know all makes it so much easier for us mm. to to be aligned with this transition. But for me personally, what I've come to believe myself personally is a transition from one cycle to the next. That is when Venus stations retrograde in the evening, uh, um, quickly descends and disappears and then reappears in, as the, in the, before the sun in the morning sky, signaling the start of a new cycle. That, it, that, that's a process even though it happens to our eyes very quickly it's a process that we we take many months to come to integrate or to start to really be able to live with you know and um and i I actually see it personally again this is just my opinion is is that at the middle section of the cycle at the superior or the uh, exterior conjunction is when we're really learning do we want to walk with this cycle or are we going to live kind of in denial are we going to kind of go oh this one's not for me to walk with i'm going to walk with another one it takes that long sometimes to make this big transition you know right and to put some dates to that for those of you listening uh, this cycle in many senses would have begun august 15th 2015 we could argue possibly july 25th 2015 and we'll get into that but the other side of the cycle that Adam's mentioning, that will come our way on June 6th, 2016, right. which is like the most charged chart of next year anyway with that <laughs> mutable grand cross, but I diverge here. Um, yeah, you know, and so some of the astrological um, suggestions are that Venus retrograde is a terrible time to engage in love, which is just a really heartbreaking statement <laughs> because Venus always wants love, right? And um I haven't been at this long, but I, I do have some data because last time Venus was retrograde, um, there were three different clients I had that called and said, I, I met this guy and I'm not supposed to go for it now, right? I said, no, always choose love. You know, and all <laughs> the relationships are very sound right now and very beautiful. But one thing that we're told that I have found very true, not only in my own practice, but in a lot of clients that I'm I'm sitting with and friends is that. Sometimes old lovers will show up, 
And even from, you know, these kind of past life feelings, you know, the, I like to call it instimacy, you know, when we meet somebody and we just, we know there's something there, right? And, and that thing's showing up or some of the, the cords that we have connected still to um, those of us who we had a painful ending with or a shameful ending with or whatever. And this is this energy that I feel can be so present to uh, a lot of dreams about old lovers or old friends that, that, you know, in a sense we've moved away from whatever coming in at this time and asking us to really address, you know, to me, what is this wound so we can bring some love to it, some forgiveness, some healing and really open to a new way of the heartfelt experience and expression. Yeah. I, I love that, Brett. Um, in addition, it's not just old loves coming back. It's, old value systems being thrown up in our face. And when you talk about value systems, you immediately bring up the word attachments. So old attachments to how things should be, how I should be feeling, or how I, or how you should not be treating me. Um, as well as, you know, um, old relationships with um our own social scene this is all Hmm. this is all venus language so you know my old um expectation of how many friends i should have or what my friends should be doing for me and and all that so the venus retrograde will literally throw us or, or retro us to look back at ourselves in all the Venus signified areas of life. It doesn't matter what it is, you know? Yeah, and as the Venus cycle is eight years, so I'm turning 40 on October 24th this year. Wow, so you're in a Venus. My fifth Venus synodic return cycle. And I I woke up on August 15th having decided that I wasn't going to do a group at my house that was a plan for a while. I was like, I've got to create this this thing and bring in all these magicians and I I got to get Maria on the horn and you know and it's all unfolding very quickly which feels good because yeah. you know my intention is for the for the goddess to speak through me in this time um, but so sometimes these themes of eight years because the cycle is so harmonic and so beautiful there can be these um, these fractal time periods that come in and present themselves and it can go back archetypally like way into deep history. Yes. And when we talk about the moving of the Hulupu tree, right. you know, and the transition during this Venus retrograde, which is Venus as close to Earth as she gets, right. passing Earth, and she moves from the evening sky to the morning sky. Um, we're also talking, as Adam mentioned, a shift from the archetypal essence of one cycle to the next. And so, for example, um, people who know my work know I play the moon game, right? And even though the sun will soon shift into the sign of Virgo, for me, it's still a Leo moon cycle, right? And a Leo moon game until the next new moon, which will be in the later degrees of Virgo next month or next month. And this is similar for Venus. She starts her quest, her 19-month, her 584-day quest, and a sign. And uh, last cycle, which began either January 11th, 2014, or January 17th, depending on how you look at the thing, 
either way, it was in the sign of Capricorn. So for the last 19 months, Venus and therefore the divine feminine energy has been investigating the essence of Capricorn. And the true essence of Capricorn may be one of the most misunderstood at this time, I would say, but Council of Grandmothers, those intent on preserving the true earth wisdom for the seven future generations. I like to call it the, the trunk of the tree itself. Mm -hmm. And so this is, in these cycles, always a release and a rebirth and a return. And so Venus has done that since January of 2014. It was a huge Capricorn year, Capricorn new moon on New Year's Day and on winter solstice last year, you know, and Pluto and Capricorn and so much of that energy really helping us come back to the elder wisdom. Actually, I'm, I'm called to read one of, one of the Sabian symbols um, for the degree, the 14th degree of Capricorn where Pluto is today and where Pluto was when this this new Venus cycle began and where Pluto was during the, the grand cross of 2014 that many were speaking about. Um, and it reads this way, the 14th degree of Capricorn. An ancient bas-relief carved in granite remains a witness to a long-forgotten culture. And Dane Rudyard's keynote from his an astrological mandala is this, the will to unearth in our culture, as well as in any culture, what has permanent value and to let go of non-essentials. Mm -hmm. And I feel there's so much resonance here with Capricorn Venus, yes? Yes. Yeah, I I see that that level that you were speaking about this this archetypal theme that each cycle is an embodiment of, and it goes from one to the next to the next uh, of Capricorn, as you're mentioning here, um, as the in this case the Capricorn feminine within each of us. So. That's how I, I, I have seen that that is, much, is, a, is a very accessible way for people to understand it. So the feminine and the masculine are beyond our ability to comprehend them. I'm not speaking here about gender, male and female. Like I joke, I'm not talking about your plumbing when I use feminine <laughs> and masculine. <laughs> but feminine and masculine are these, are these principles, these cosmological principles far bigger than I... They are the two that the original one broke into or separated into. And there's lots of beautiful, beautiful, very powerful rendering from ancient, like um, proto-Hinduism, uh, proto, uh, which way predates Buddhism and even Chinese Taoism. Very, very old, these ways of conceptualizing like the yin and the yang, uh, uh, that symbol. If you really look at that, and you go in there with your heart wide open, you're going to find some amazing experiences mm -hmm. in how that relationship is. Because as they say in some of the translations, they say the masculine and the feminine are not two. And there's a hyphen between those, not hyphen two. And that's mm. because that's the closest way you can talk about them. You can't say that they are one because they're not the same, but they're not two. So it speaks, it, it points to kind of this openness, this emptiness. And that Capricorn femininity, now as you were saying beautifully, Brett, uh, coming into a Leo feminine, 
allele femininity within each of our hearts, within each of our cellular bodies, is kind of like pointing to a mystery that cannot be fathomed with our local mind, our imaginations even, even our dream space. Everything, every way that we have to access something like the feminine or the Leo, the Leonine feminine is still a translation from the original source. It's still mm. a it's still a, a a transducing of the energy or the consciousness down into something that we as local beings can do, can be with, can be inspired by, can live from, can align with, can teach, can learn, all that. And so it's for me that that archetypal theme that each cycle embodies is kind of the way I talk about it in in when I'm teaching the class on this stuff is is that that's the goddess in this case because it's Venus that's the goddess that humanity is in service to now so it would be humanity has just started to become aware that we as a species are in service to the Leo feminine the Leo and that's what I mean by the goddess I don't mean a goddess as anthropomorphized by any different culture either ancient or extant it's more that we are in service to the principle of the feminine which has 12 faces according to astrological mandala and it's the facet on that crystal that is the leo facet that we are now being reflected by through the pure light of consciousness mm. before we talk about that essence adam could you take yeah. us into the capricorn feminine yeah so for me um, all the signs have a masculine and a feminine valence. Okay. So regarding Capricorn femininity, just like, and I totally agree with you about Capricorn is probably the most misunderstood sign, especially today and where we're coming out of the last couple thousand years and where we're moving into is Capricorn has this dual side to it, similar to Venus herself. And you can see this in the, ori the original image of Capricorn, which is the fish goat, the constellational image. So the, the upper half of this being was a goat, a mountain goat. The back half was a fish with a very powerful tail. So it could walk on water. In other words, it could traverse through land and it could tra traverse through water. And this represents in our current culture kind of how we are in all of us. And this and feminine, the feminine in humanity is very much about relationship, relationship with oneself, relationship with one's body, relationship with one's emotional state or energetic state, relationship with another person, relationship with how we want them to be compared versus how they actually are, relationship with our external resources, relationship with the land, the uh, relationship with, with what for us is sacred. It's all matter of the other, capital O. That is as best as I can do in a very pragmatic, accessible way without getting too arcane and reachy, reachy, you know, is that's the best, it's the relationship with everything. Therefore, Venus is a big signifier in astrology for our personal mystery because we often don't know or don't even want to have a relationship with many different parts of ourselves. We want to kind of know that we're on the right track. We want to know that we're not too uncomfortable. We want to know that we're living how we should be, all of that in alignment. So Capricorn femininity speaks to this. And this last cycle was about learning to take responsibility for the things that we don't know about ourselves. And mm. this is this two-faced, this other side of the Capricorn. This is like the watery side of Capricorn. 
that's often very um, innocent. There's incredible innocence about Capricorn qualities. Beautiful, almost like untainted, pure innocence, and even a, even a naivete about Capricorn. But it's the internal side. It's not the external, the express side of the Capricorn um, mm. consciousness. So I think that's really what it was what it was about. What are we willing and not yet willing to take responsibility for in all of these relationships that we have? Above it, you know, as the Buddha say, in all the ten directions, or the, the Native Americans, the, the four directions, the six directions, the seven directions. And are we are we willing to make a different choice if those choices aren't working for us anymore? I think that's what the overall Capricorn feminine was about. Um, you know, and now the Leo is, is definitely a, a different a different trip. Yeah, and so that Capricorn essence, I mean, so much came in for me just then as you were speaking. And, um, you know, I mean, some of the, most of the astrology books that I found my way to actually put Capricorn forward as this kind of police state and governance. And, I mean, I do like to enter the archetypes from a Northern Hemisphere seasonal perspective. I think that brings a lot of their story to us. Yes. And that Capricorn time is dark, and you better have chosen the right cave and canned the peaches, you know what I mean? And so there is some, like, we got to keep it together here. But it's this organic structure. That's why I call it the trunk of the tree. And the roots, they, they dig into the lineage, you know, the ancestry and the language of all history that is contained within all of ourselves. And so it doesn't have to be this forced wisdom, and especially with the feminine essence of it, which can be a little more playful, right? And watery, as Adam described it, I love that. And it brings a story to mind that's one of my favorite kind of Capricorn Venus stories, because there is this, uh, this archetype that, that Daniel and Kaylin of Shamanic Astrology bring forth, which is the Council of Grandmothers for um, Capricorn, mm -hmm. and especially Venus in Capricorn, I would say. And, you know, we have these 13 grandmothers who are appearing all over the place now, and it's wonderful. And one of them, Eric Nez, related this story to me. Um, I think it was Grandma Agnes. She was at the Beloved Festival a couple years back, and she's up on stage doing her thing. It was this water blessing. And she says, you know, I hear all you talking about how you're going to save the earth and really tend to to earth mother and it touches my heart but then i look out here and i see all these red these plastic cups and she says what you didn't know you were going to drink today she's like here's my cup right here and she breaks out this silver cup and it'll take cold it'll take hot i thought i'd drink some water at this festival and maybe some tea and who knows maybe that once a year a cup of coffee or something so just think when you drink you know what I mean? It doesn't have to be this forced, you are doing it wrong, this is the new way, get in line, that really seems to be put forth by these people who are, I feel like are, are hurting Capricorn in that true organic essence. And in a sense, therefore, Saturn too, but maybe that's a whole another discussion. But so we are transitioning now out of Capricorn. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't say like, Okay, it's just this switch that's gone, and now Leo, right? right? And it, it, we so we get to see in these cycles, you know, as we move through the solar year, how does Capricorn inform Aquarius, which is next? As we look at the nodes, which move retrograde, right? How does Capricorn inform Sagittarius? Mm -hmm. And now this Venus cycle, just this beautiful five-petaled rose through the zodiac or through the space as we look from Earth. 
moves from Capricorn to Leo. So how can Capricorn inform Leo? And before we really dive into that question, Adam, who is the Leo feminine? Yeah. So the Leo feminine or the Leonin, the Leo feminine, the Leo nine feminine is the part of everyone, women and men equally. This is not reserved for women exclusively by any stretch. The Leo feminine is someone who honors, and honors is not an intellectual activity. Honors is, I'm going to use a Capricorn word here, a commitment to being, or, or I was going to say to being willing, but it's, that, it's a commitment to living out of the center of my life. Even if I don't know what that is yet. So Leo, as many know, correlates with the heart and the center of inspiration and creativity and play and love and the light. And it through planetary relationship, it relates to the sun. But Leo as its own whole on is the container for the completeness of the self and not having nothing to do with narcissism here, but rather than, you know, that in our language, self-centered is a pejorative term. So I like to use the word centered in selfness. And that's what Leo feminine is. Remember feminine is relationship with everything, including our bodies, the physical experience is governed overall by the feminine principle, okay? The, the, the physical, the, the physical form is governed by the feminine or physicality. So you can say the physical universe is feminine, and that's why in ancient Egypt, Newt, the great goddess of the evening sky, her body, her corpus was the sky. In other words, what we can see without leaving our bodies to go, what we can actually see physically was a, was a feminine figure. It was not a masculine, you know, seventh chakra, imagination, enlightened realm. It was a it was a woman representative of this feminine principle that we all men and women have within us within us. Mm. So for me, the Leo feminine is about living in that principle of centered in selfness where. Um, it, it's and remember, I'm speaking here from a very high level of the Leo feminine. Many people are still, including myself, are still learning this one. But but the Leo feminine is how can I be be whole and perfect unto myself and then share that light that arises or that emanates or that radiates out for others to see. So in, in our culture, we have we say, I'm going to I'm going to commit to expressing myself creatively, artistically. For me, when I look at that, an artist expressing themselves, either in whatever media they work, sculpture, music, dance, um, um, painting, whatever, what I see with that is that is a perfect crystallization of the Leo principle. And as it relates to the feminine, it's I'm going to share myself fully. I'm going to allow the creative genius that is me to come forward fully without necessarily needing to have center stage or without needing to overshine someone else or put down someone else's 
creative genius that might be expressing something that's quite in contrast to what I'm expressing. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and we have to talk about, and you brought this in, that there's many octaves of these archetypes. Oh my God. Right. So many. And so we hear this thing that Leo needs the stage and Leo needs the spotlight. And I think that is available in one of the lower octaves. But as we cycle up, through this this beautiful spiral we get to a place where no the stage needs leo because leo is the spotlight yeah the illuminated one who has lit that cauldron those roaring flames of the fire that torch so brightly that we can each ignite our own candle from it simply by unwrapping the present of that present yeah and beautiful. so in the cultural contamination that really challenges the archetypal investigation of most of the fixed signs right where we are told that some service to self-growth is vain or egocentric and we lose the ability to have confidence when it's taught to us that that is only cockiness or true pride when we're taught that that is arrogance yes. right lions roll in pride so there's there's this there's this key term of sovereignty in fact the um, the facebook group that that i've started to post these interviews and sharings and music and all these different things it's called the sovereign scepter of the lioness you know there's something about that that queen taking her crown back but it starts here right it starts like bringing the fire out of the spiritual ethers and bringing it into <laughs> our core yes what you mentioned something brett that just brought brought up something for me is if i'm expressing or if I'm being or acting in a way that I need to have center spotlight, center stage, then that means, and there's no real arguing this, this is just, if I have a need to be center stage all the time or more often than not or whatever, then that means that at a deeper, more powerful level of my consciousness, I don't believe that I am the center stage, that I will ever be it, or nor that I deserve it. So anyone needing something like that in an attached way necessarily equals a, a, an unconscious belief that I don't have it and I won't have it. And that's where that need, narcissism, egotism, comes from. It's the precursory, pre-existing belief that I'm not that already. And that's what the Leo feminine, I think, invokes us towards to experience ourself as whole already in our bodies absolutely yeah i mean leo has this very creative manifestative quality to it yes and if we lose ourselves to needing to be seen then we cannot really open that that creative force i mean even but even on the higher essence of allowing creator to create through us like the canvas does not paint itself without the brush in your hand. Right. You know what I mean? So I hear a lot of people saying, oh, I need to do my art more. It's like, no, your art needs you. <laughs> Actually, isn't that what you're here for? But, you know, playing with that kind of Leo light and shadow, it's really... Yeah. It's it's really a dance in this world. And I get to face it all the time. You know, here's this podcast thing. Okay, how many people like that? Did somebody comment? You know what I mean? And, and really falling into that. It's like, wait a second, that's actually just doling that creative force that I've asked to come speak through me. Yes. And when I let that go, then I can create, right? <laughs> Without worrying about any of that stuff. I mean, 
I like to say that, you know, if people aren't showing up to a presentation or something, I don't care. Like, I would say this to a wall. Right. In fact, right. I often do, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> but, all right. So, you know, one thing we're touching here, um, you know, I, I like to play with these not only is how does the last cycle and the fully, in this case, the fully kind of evolved feminine Capricorn inform uh, Leo. So how do we bring that higher octave of Capricorn into this Leo quest to support it? But on the other side, what from the Capricorn zone would actually keep us from diving deep into Leo, right? And by that, I mean, you know, even some of these traditions, if we could look at some of the shadow Capricorn, you know, some of that can be, oh, it is ego to love yourself. Yes. Right. Yes. I mean, it's so easy for us to love others and so difficult for us to true. I mean, to truly love ourselves. Yes. Right. Yeah. But when we find that place or so I'm told, then we're giving that gift of love to everyone around us. Right. right? That, we're giving it to that that love to everyone around us without the agenda to give that love to everyone around us. In other words, it's happening spontaneously. And that's the sign of, for me, that's the, that's the most, that's the deepest uh, evidence of embodiment, of that word embodiment. When, when what I'm doing in being is ease or is effortless or easeful for me, and it's having a spontaneous um, outpouring or an effect on other people without forcing something down their throats, without trying to teach something, somebody, uh, teach someone something, without trying to force my b incredibly brilliant new artistic invention um, <laughs> into a gallery opening, you know, like, so that's the sign of embodiment when you've embodied it and it's just emanating or it's like naturally radiating out of you. That's and then you know you have something because if I'm still trying to prove the world how wonderful I am, I'm still learning how wonderful I am. I'm still in that school. I'm still in that classroom. <laughs> right. So this cycle will help us tap into releasing cultural contamination, I would suggest, that would keep us from knowing how wonderful we are. Exactly. Yes. And so in this transition, and this is why I love this story so much of this moving of the halupu tree. Yeah. The serpent has made its home in the roots and the abzu the bird. bird and its family and the branches and the dark made lilitu in the trunk, you know. And so when I look into these three things, first of all, what comes in is, you know, core shamanism worldwide, right? The three worlds, upper world, lower world, middle world often shown through a world tree with a with a bird at the top yep. a, a snake at the bottom yeah uh, like in peru for, for example it is serpent condor and then for the middle world puma but here in this expression we see the dark made lilitu and the trunk of the tree itself expressing this middle world yeah. and as i feel into this and this really came in looking at some of the significant dates of one cycle to the next mm -hmm. um, of, oh, right. So what this is, is these are not some enemies that Anana needs to kick out of the tree. What they are, are the higher world, the lower world, and the middle world essences of the feminine who has achieved totality in the last archetype, mm -hmm. in this case, Capricorn. And now we've got to push some of that away mm -hmm. just so we can have the courage to go through the rebirth process once again. And so there is this ascension, there is this 
um, continual passing of the torch from one cycle to the next, but there's also a bit of, I will release that wisdom so that I can take a new journey or else why else would I go? Or maybe I go because of the wisdom. And so the image that comes in for me is this composting of that world tree that we have grown into soil that will host the seeds that we plant now. Yeah. So as we shift from Capricorn, can we really use that earth to plant seeds of Leo fire? Mm, beautiful. It's so rich, but you really bring in the imagery beautifully. Because this transition is happening with Venus closest to earth than she ever gets, I would say that that composting process produces a an, an a very hot soil. So there's a greater amount of heat in this particular composting process, more so than in the middle of the cycle when Venus is furthest from us and it's a different process. It's not composting the tree because it's still part of the tree. Uh, it's still part of that cycle. But this process, that compost, it's 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 very the composting is going on not in a dark bin that you have way in your backyard and you're turning it around and turning it around <laughs> like our noses and our faces are in that we are we are being composted mm. you know so when people like when i do readings for people and i see people born right around this time in whatever cycle they were born in when they were born they were, they were, they were born when venus was very close to earth retrograde and invisible right around here on either side of the sun. I'm always talking about this heat, um, this um, unavoidable presence that like you want to turn away from it. But but they were born in in the closest proximity, closest Venus proximity. So Venus and the earth are like, like embracing Mm. just from a, just from a, a, a spatial distance standpoint, you know, and Brett, you had asked me before, I wanted to share just a few things about this. From Capricorn to Leo, you know, so what must be relaxed, you asked? What must be relaxed of Capricorn to support the open spaciousness, the, the new conception and inception of the Leo feminine, which is which we're in right now? Um, is one way to say it is to give up the metrics of progress um, and the change. Adam, please say that again because you broke up right at that key moment. Okay, yeah. Give up the metrics. Give up the metrics of progress, the chains of responsibility, and the who answers to who Mm. for the abundant reservoir of inspiration. Right? Like, think about this. Like, if we're a, if, if, if it, if in our personality makeup, which the whole, which a person's whole birth chart can really talk about, if, 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 if I'm a natural born business leader or an entrepreneur and, and I've made a success of it by having very clear chains of command in my businesses, I have people that work for me. There's a very specific way that we do things to have, to achieve efficiencies, to do our business, or even forget business. I'm a person who has a natural innate wiring to be a family person, to be a great husband, to be a great wife, to be a great father or mother. What, what this is asking us to do is to give up 
the ways that it has worked in the past, where, okay, you, that's your job, that's my job, this is your chores, that's my chores, and start to open up to more creative flow, more dynamism of, hey, you know what, today I want to do your chores. I don't want to do mine. Or today I don't want to do any chores. Can we leave it off for a day? Just because mm. I'm feeling that that's what I really need today. That kind of shift is what is moving from Capricorn to Leo. It, it, it takes a bit of, of courage and faith to leap out of the kind of the known structure of, you know, when I get up, I know I have to eat breakfast within two hours, but otherwise I da, 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 da. or I know that I don't like to eat after nine o'clock or whatever like that. You know, it's like that's like a Capricorn thing. Leo is like, well, I'm just available. I'm available to see how I'm inspired and what will support me. You know, yes, it's a it, so in some ways it, it's like a relief when you look at it more archetypally. Oh, Leo, so wonderful, Capricorn, so you know, kind of um, contracting. But it's but living fit as physical beings on the planet with certain responsibilities, it's going to be a challenge. That's why I give up myself and all my people lots of time, months and months, to allow the the alignment, the the cellular biorhythmic circadian rhythm alignment with this new cycle to take form, mm. to, to, to happen within me organically. It's like you said, very importantly, it's not just turning on a dime. Just because Venus is of another degree on the other side of the sun doesn't mean we're suddenly in the Leo cycle all of a sudden. It really is a, it's like a, it's like as this comes up, this goes down. As that comes up, that goes down. It really is a, a dynamic. It's like, this is what I call astrology as a wave rather than astrology as a particle. You know, mm -hmm. a lot of the birth chart readings, a lot of astrology today is astrology as a particle. Mm -hmm. We're fixing the horoscope of the birth moment, the first breath moment, and we're reading this, this, and we're pegging it. This phase work and the cycle work that you are bringing forward is so much more like astrology as a waveform. And astrology is both, just like light is both. Love is both. Absolutely. And I think actually in this coming Saturn neptune square this year yes. we're really going to be able to see in our lives in every way particle versus wave what we're choosing can we practice both you know i mean i'm kind of a, a wave astrologer and yet i'm studying hellenistic astrology too which is extremely particle awesome. you know you're studying and, i didn't know that that's yeah yeah, yeah. well because because you know i'm learning the the music theory now to support my ear and to use that metaphor from before oh, really? you know i mean adam you're uh your language has such an incredible gift of resonating your heart's message. Mm. And it's such a joy to have you on here. I mean, one thing in your sharing that came in for me is that the day of my birth, okay, it's October 24th, 1975. And so then you know, because this cycle is so harmonic and beautiful that I'm born basically at the maximum elongation or the highest Venus gets in, in the sky. And in, in your system, that's... Um, Venus at fullness, right? So on this day yeah. in Iceland, um, 1975, October 24th, there was a walkout of women from the home. The children were like literally like abandoned and men had to come home to take care of their kids, you know? <laughs> and it has this incredible like very like, okay, we're Leo now. This was the first Leo cycle if we uh -huh. use the Leo eyes as the starting point, shifting out, you know, from Virgo as they retrograde into Leo. It was also 1975. Um, Times man of the year for 1975 
was Women of the Year, <laughs> <laughs> though it was still called Man of the Year. Um, and, you know, so we're speaking about feminine and masculine. This is really important. And this comes into this story as well, because Anana chasing out the serpent and the bird and, and Lilitu, who I feel so much, are not some external her, but this internal her, so she can begin a new process, that does not happen without help from Gilgamesh. Right. right. And so I'm going to read to you from a, the words of a very wise man named Adam Gainsburg from a, a book called The Light of Venus. The feminine and masculine, irrespective of your gender, are the most essential bases of existence. They do not create who you are, but they are at the heart of everything you will ever discover yourself to be. They are the formless blueprint, the primordial gel into which your karma, genetics, and cultural programming are imprinted. In fact, at the highest level, there is no feminine or masculine. At the highest level, they are utterly united. For us mortals, though, trying to understand something about them can be more than a little helpful if we wish to understand our lives in the right context. And below, male or female is your gender, masculine and feminine are your birthrights. You have one gender and both forces. Lucky you. <laughs> so I love that. And a lot of my quest in this 13-month um, sharing and um, is to really get into the yin and the yang. Mm -hmm. I, I had a friend create this. I was giving this talk a lot called The 13th Flower, and I... And I a couple of things I would love to share this with you, actually. Yeah. In, the, in the Mercury retrograde cycles, I tend to just really get into the glyphs and just stare at the glyphs of the signs and the planets until my eyes blur. And it opens this window that can be really incredible. Yes. Um, it's as much as I've done looking down at a sheet of paper to tap into that energy that we receive when we look up. Okay. And... Uh, what I was shown was this, because the Mercury retrogrades, as you know, are all in the air signs this year, is a really cool study of, of yin and yang. Because we start with Gemini, right, which is this division, which is this duality, these pillars. And uh, so there is this kind of separation, this independence of the two. Mm -hmm. But then we get to Libra, and they're lying horizontally, right, yes. and balanced in the scales. And it's almost this dependence, this study of relationship. Yes. And sacred geometry teaches us that the curved line is feminine and the straight line is masculine. Right. So this thing is more equal than an equal sign, right? So we might expect by the time we get to the third air sign, just one line. They've merged. They've become, you know, unified. But that's not what we see with Aquarius. These two rigid sawtooth lines often confused for water waves because of this. But they are waves. They're energy waves. They're, they're chi, ki right? Yes. Numos, prana, this. And the study teaches us, no, it's not about utter independence or dependence, mm -hmm. but interdependence. Yes. So how can we honor them as different charges for the one work, right? We don't make electricity without a negative and a positive pull. And while those words, you know, carry too much energy to bring here in a sense, negative and positive, but this is feminine and masculine as they uh, empower one another. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's see. To me, the element of air is all about relationship. 
if if we're speaking element in an element way, air brings in the quality of relationship with, relationship of, relationship as, relationship in and out. So that uh, glyphic insight you've had, I, I mean, it's it's fantastic. So now. I'm not sure how to exactly uh, correlate that with the Venus cycle, but well, this year, you know, well, put it this way, your questions and inviting me to be, participate in your journey here is that the air element year for the Mercury cycle, the retrograde periods, in this transition of the Venus cycle now, what is the relationship with what is passing away and what is coming in, you know? Um, yeah, Mer sorry, you gonna say something? Well, I was just gonna say the, the air quality, and I love that you bring this in, I feel it's very much of the statement of this feminine essences, this Leo quest of her birth chart in a way, because mm -hmm. we've got that north node in Libra and approaching the autumnal equinox point, yes. where it will cross into Virgo on November 11th, 2015 this is a very special time i'm gonna i'm gonna bring in some of your work with gary around venus and mars here in a second awesome. um but right since february 17th 2014 we have north had north node kind of the forward calling of our collective consciousness to really focus on the yin and, and the yang yes um, and so i was saying in this talk a lot you know you spin a yin yang and, and they don't become one color it pulses. Yes. And I, and I was saying that and saying that, and I had never seen it, you know? And so I, t I told my friend that, and he's like, how do you know? And he's like this incredible computer animator, right? So he made one for me. I'll, I'll send it to you. Yeah. It is such a fascinating study of the yin-yang. Mm -hmm. And so when you do get to that speed, it is a pulsing. Mm -hmm. But while you're ramping up, what we did was accelerate it there. And at times, the fish are moving one way and the, and the dots are moving the others. They form these incredible different geometries, triangles and squares. And it's a, it's a fascinating study. So that's also for people listening. It's on, um, on the movies page of my website, morethanastrology.com. You can watch Spin Young. It didn't come in in like the full speed just because of internet. Who knows? All right, so I'm I'm going. No, 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 that's exciting. I'm going to check that. Out. That video is very cool. I'm going to check that out. Right on. So you know, speaking of the birth chart of this Venus, I mean, there's there's two different places where people have begun this cycle, mm -hmm. and so many would say it is August fifteenth, twenty fifteen, because this is Venus interior conjunction to Sun, as Adam mentioned, as close as she gets to Earth. And in the old systems, this is Kazemi, when Venus is in the heart of it, or in the throne room of the king. It's been said, though, maybe some of that language should be relaxed a little bit. Yeah. But shamanic astrology, which is the stock of my stories, too, and Adam's practice as well in the light of Venus, is to say, yes, yeah, she is seated then. She is seated then, but she is actually born when we can first visibly see her in the sky. Right. And this is called her helical rising. It tends to come to us when she has now retrograded 10 degrees east or earlier in the zodiac from the sun, when Venus, just for a moment, her light can be seen before sunrise. And then every day she will get higher and higher very quickly as she shoots up there to her highest and brightest points coming in 
October. Yes. Um, so one thing that I've done in my work is to investigate what's happening in the world as Venus shifts archetypes. And I'm honoring the birth as you do into a new quest, into an archetypal sign of the zodiac through that helical rising point. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so the deal is Venus and, and throughout the course of this 19 months and this continuing 13th flower presentation, we'll be looking all into this. So if you, if you haven't seen this yet, it's coming your way soon. But Venus and Sun and Earth form this amazing five-petaled rose or pentagram throughout the zodiac from Earth's view over the course of eight years, 13 Venus years, there are five of these points of a, a pentagram. But the pentagram, while it is so resonant, so harmonic, for example, August 15th, 2015, we have the Venus interior conjunction to Sun in the 23rd degree of Leo. And that means about August 15th, it'd probably be more August 13th, 2023, eight years later, it will be in the same place, though having moved just a couple degrees retrograde. So we'll most likely be August 13th, 2015 at the 21st degree of Leo. I'm saying that I haven't looked yet. Yeah. Um, but the point is the, the whole pentagram very slowly retrogrades. Thank you for that, Adam, through the Zodiac. Yeah. And so every, it's kind of an average of a hundred or 104 years. One of these points because Venus is only investigating five of the signs at a time, one of them will shift signs. Mm -hmm. And so some of what I feel is coming into the, this quest is this. Um, Venus, just around the time of the 19th Amendment being ratified, women's right to vote, mm -hmm. two of the points shifted, one from Sagittarius into Scorpio, mm -hmm. and another from Taurus into Aries. So in traditional associations of planets of the sign, from Sagittarius, Jupiter, into Scorpio, Mars. Right. And from Taurus, Venus, into Aries, Mars. Yeah. So two of the five Venus points, the feminine points, go into Mars, into the masculine investigation. And if you read the words of the women of the suffrage movement at the time, this is very present. They're talking about courage and taking back our independence and our rights, you know what I mean? And it's really cycle when we look through this this course of the time since then and, and we will in this investigation in the feminist movements that that's really come strong and come forward and so much has been taken back mm -hmm. but in so many ways it's also kind of exploded in those like shoulder pad power suits of the 80s <laughs> and where is like the feminine power in this thing right yes so we're coming into a shifting time and we are all born to participate with this because those same two points that carry some relative Martian energy yep. will be shifting in this coming decade. Um, the Scorpio cycle has ended yes. if you honor heliacal rising as your start point. So in 2018, what has been Scorpio since the 19th Amendment will become Libra. Right. So with traditional planetary associations, Venus shifting out of Mars back into Venus. Right. And regardless of what start point you work with, the opposite point of the cycle, the exterior conjunction, when Venus is farthest from Earth, mm -hmm. and she made that conjunction right around the time of the Scorpio solar eclipse last year. Her conjunction point was on October 25th, 2014, and it was in the second degree of Scorpio. 
and it was the last exterior conjunction point for this cycle in the sign of Scorpio mm -hmm. until 2177, okay? Mm -hmm. And the Sabian symbol for this point, dig this, reads thus, a delicate bottle of perfume lies broken, releasing its fragrance. Radiating, like we were talking about before, yes. Like, and I see it just, it's gotten so structured and fixed and firm in this way, you know, like achieving in a sense like that, that masculine power and which is really kind of a false masculine, but anyway, yeah. and now it shatters in that power of beauty, that fragrance comes back. Yes. Right. Yes. You know, there's so much here, Brett. I mean, there's so much here, um, how women and men express the masculine and the feminine. Though a man, though a very masculine man might never call his great workout in the gym beautiful, from the perspective of the feminine, it's a beautiful thing because he's being who he is. Adam, you broke up again just at that key moment. Oh, okay. So, from the perspective of the feminine, yeah, from the perspective of the, so a masculine man. A guy's guy working out, working out in the gym, having a really great workout, like, you know, bench pressing more than he's ever done before. He hit a new peak for himself from the from the language of the feminine, though he would never describe that experience as beautiful. He might describe it as awesome, powerful, kick ass, um, personal accomplishment, all that. The feminine would see that as beautiful because he's doing what he wants and he's embodying it. Mm. So that's where it gets very tricky and so complex and so variegated about how we describe our experiences as men and women who each have both feminine and masculine in them. In so even, and this goes back to this thing that I, this um, idea that I shared a bit earlier. I'm just going to repeat it in this context, is the, the principles of the feminine and masculine and even the archetype, the archetypal purity of these 12-sided uh, these twelve -sided feminine or the 13 flowers, they're beyond our ability to really wrap around with our mind, with our identification ability. It really is a matter of living it and letting the experience kind of reveal us to it. And so just as a side note here, maybe, or whatever, in recent, in the last year or two, I've moved more to, in terms of my astrological work, is writing and, and lecturing or whatever on finding better ways to trigger experiences for people to happen and less about the ed the speaking to a bunch of very brilliant heads hmm, right right you're a heart man I, i'm a i'm a heart guy and I'm, I'm an experience guy like a true experience and so when i started when you invited me to do this brett and i was looking at what you were doing here on the facebook group which is just wonderful i'm like great you're picking it up because i can't like i kind of let it go because i found that honestly where this came from was I found that my that I was better able to serve my clients from helping foster in them experiences of who they are mm. 
than a bunch of maps of who yeah. they are. Well, I'll take the the nerd candle for a while, dude. Um, I, yeah, you know, I gave I gave a talk in Denver this year, and this woman after she's like, "You're like an astrologer, but you're really emotional," <laughs> which, uh, which I just love. Uh, but you you said something in there that is so key to your work um, that the beauty of doing what you love and embodying it. Yes. And so one thing that you speak about in the light of Venus, which I really recommend everyone pick up, it's an incredible study, not only of the cycle and astrology, but of heartfelt experience. Mm -hmm. But you speak about Venus as the essence of the divine feminine in our chart, mm -hmm. and then the phase of Venus on your chart as your feminine dharma. Yeah, yeah. Do you want me to, yeah. Um, Yes. <laughs> okay. For me, the word in this one context, because I use the word Dharma in other areas of my work, for me, the word Dharma means what out of my innate cellular genius that I was born with, it's just a matter of how much I'm going to expose myself to. How much, however much of that that I'm allowing myself to um, happen, how do I contribute that particular personal genius of mine? to the benefit of others, to a, a, an authentic contribution to an improvement of other people's lives, the world, systems, my local community, the land, Mother Earth, Father Sky, what have you. So for me, Dharma is what I do with, in a, in a very tangible way, what I do with my particular feminine nature, my sacred feminine and my sacred masculine for that matter. So that's Dharma, and that's what the phase is. So there's, in my system, there's 13 phases of Venus. Each of the phases of Venus represents, of course, um, a particular Dharma. So if I'm born in phase four, whatever that is, the description of phase four of the Venus cycle would say, okay, this is how whatever my Venus is, which is correlated on my birth chart, Venus in the sign and the house and the aspects on my birth chart, how that Venus, which is my personal Venus self, my feminine self, gets expressed. So that my personal Venus in phase four is how I'm supposed to take who I am as a feminine being and do it, do something positive with it in the world. And that's what I mean by feminine dharma. That's really the that's really the the main, I guess, reason why I wrote the book, because I was getting a little tired of really wonderful, brilliant astrology work out there. Just be uh, remaining in concepts mm. and inspiring talk. It's like, this is how I do it. And like, I, you know, it's very, very important. It sounds so simple and obvious, but it's so important. If, if my feminine or masculine or both or whatever um, Dharma or Jupiter Dharma or whatever it might be is to be a parent to one child, for whatever reason, karmically, dharmically, that's what my major contribution to the world is. To, give, to conceive, give birth, and rear a child in the best way that I can, which means I'm walking with them as they're growing up, then that is a fully complete dharmic uh, fulfillment. I mean, it's a, it's a dharmic fulfillment. But if your dharma is that you were born with a silver spoon, every year you have an extra $3 million in the bank, and you realize that it's not just about fulfilling your material desires, you want to actually do something with it, and you start to make a serious dent into the poverty condition of a third world country. And that's actually happening by your 
nonprofits or your networks or your um, other people that are joining with you to do that. You know, that's an equally fulfilled dharma. So there is no comparison necessary between the scope of one person's dharma compared with the scope of another person's dharma. Dharma is so personal, it's like it's like who we are as we're falling asleep. That's how personal and intimate it is. You know, who we are as lovers, that's how intimate it is. So it, you can't compare it. Oh, I should be doing more. I should be doing more if my heart, if my soul force if my broad intelligence is demanding that there's more for me to embody and radiate and and do and be, you know that's and releasing ourselves just to live that fire and to yeah. not worry about what it is. That's when it comes in, right? And yes. so while you are speaking so beautifully about this participation between the Capricorn feminine and the Leo feminine, yes. Because on one side, it's like, this seems so simple, seems so obvious. <laughs> Anytime we say that, that is the core wisdom. Yes. We don't have to force something on somebody because it's just right. Yes. You know, exactly. this is a high octave of that Capricorn feminine energy, that wisdom. And then we come into following self, following calling and just opening up to it. Yes. Um, you talked to earlier Adam, about what the essence of air is for you. Would you talk about the fire, the Leo yeah, fire? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, okay, so um, uh, fire or Leo fire? Which? Uh, sorry, fire in general. I just said Leo fire for those who don't know out here that Leo is a oh, fire. So. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, fire. So for me, fire is what allows life to initiate, to become uh, a not excite like excitable like to to happen to t to have legs it's in other words it's a primordial force just like all the elements are primordial forces but but fire is the inception it's the inception of life and the ancient tantrics and and some of the Taoist and even some of the egyptian alchemy stuff really speaks quite powerfully i mean the language is sometimes hard for me to relate as a modern person but but it they all kind of speak to this fire as this unfathomable um excitation that arises out of nothing mm. that's like what the element of fire for me is the start is now we can we can translate that or convert that down to something more accessible and talk about fire here as the the fire of our personal inspiration fire as representative or signifying of our our spiritual nature fire as because because the fire the elemental fire can never be extinguished it's not like it needs wood to burn that's not how the word fire is used elementally in all the alchemical traditions fire is pre-existing unextinguishable inextinguishable it arises because it's part of the nature of universal fabric of reality. It doesn't arise because it has a proper tinder and enough flame and everything. Fire is is fund is primordial, as as the I think one of the Eastern traditions say, never born, never dying, kind of thing. And, and so for me, that's what fire is. Now Leo is I love Leo because it's fixed fire. That means this ephemeral quality that I hope is coming across and how I'm describing my view of fire anyway, now becomes fixed, becomes almost reliable. 
mm. becomes consistent. So, and for me, this is how personally, Brett, I contextualize or I house the light qualities and the shadow qualities of personality level Leo, which is always need center stage, selfish, narcissistic as the shadow quality. And the light quality is very charismatic, very filled with life and positivity and create and creative imagination and play and fun and and all and um, very committed to personal advancement. You know, so at that level, those light shadow of our personality, I, I do see those all the qualities that are written about by most of our colleagues in books and workshops and whatever. I see all of that housed though contained within this primordial idea of fire and what happens when that primordial force, never born, never dying, inspiration, that which causes life to to um, initiate itself to, to start happening is becomes available, reliable. Mm. Leo, you know, becomes like, oh, wow, all I need to do is go into that. And we have a word we call self-love. Self-love is very much a Leo um, quality, a Leo, um, um, uh, yeah, it's a Leo quality. It's a Leo um, personality trait even. Some people just are much better about, are, are kind of good with themselves, even if they screw up royally. They, they, they have a lot of self-acceptance, self-love, self-forgiveness. Other people, that's very, very difficult lesson to learn. Very difficult, right. you know? Yeah, this screaming inner critic that would keep us from just creatively manifesting. But it's not about destroying that voice. It's about cultivating our relationship to it so we can transition it from foe to friend. Yes, right. beautiful. So there's this thing I say about the fixed signs is that they serve this very imperative quest of fix yourself to fix the world. Oh, and so right. if we own that self-love, we are giving true core love. So there's a couple of things because we're running out of time. We didn't even really get to get all astrological. And where I think a lot of people watching this video are in this 13th flower journey, that's probably a good service actually. Okay. And I would love to have you back on a little bit further along if that interests you. I would love it. I would love it. Yeah, right. absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you're, well, I'll just leave the million compliments to myself right now. Um, I feel so. All right. So, so speaking about um, you know relationship now, this 2015 year is so key for this. Mm -hmm. Not only okay, do we have the North Node in Libra and that forward direction into relationship, mm -hmm. but for the first time since 1996, three exact longitudinal conjunctions between Venus and Mars, which in so many ways are the yin and the yang. I've been talking about that as an opportunity to rewrite our relationship to relationship itself. Love. And this is some of the core teaching of you and Gary Caton, who will be the next guest during the course of this thing. Oh, great. And um, yeah, would you just tell us about the, the online class that's coming up here yeah. in a couple weeks? It's uh, it's on August 27th, so it's nine days from today, August 27th in the evening Eastern time. Um, there's a website where you can register. It's skyastrologyconference.com where you can register. It's 20 bucks. It's an hour and a half. It's uh, myself, Gary Caton, and Julene Packer, who's the head of the whole IAA four-year diploma school uh, for astrology. And the three of us created something this past February called the Sky Astrology Conference where we 
held a four-day immersive conference. We chose the Bahamas because of good viewing conditions where we looked at the phases of Venus, the phases of Mars, and then the phases of Venus and Mars together as their own synode, their own cycle itself. This And, and what celebrated that moment was the Venus-Mars conjunction, the first of, the, of these three. The second will be on September 1st. We're holding the work. We're holding this webinar on the 27th to give people a couple days in because of my scheduling, my uh, schedule needs. Uh, and what we're going to be describing is the actual the the nakshatra position of the conjunctions. That Julian is a now uh, Julian Packer is an expert in uh, Vedic astrology, Hindu astrology. I'm going to be describing the phases of Venus and the phases of Mars, respectively, with the sun during this conjunction. So where is Venus in her archetypal process? Where is Mars in his when the two of them are meeting up? And then Gary's going to speak about that actual alignment between Venus and Mars. So we'll have the archetypal context. We'll have the star background, the nakshatras, and we'll have Gary's uh, uh, and we'll have the Venus Mars phase itself. And Gary's been doing some really sky-breaking work in really discovering some of these new cycle, uh, this cycle in a way that no one, I, to my knowledge, has ever worked with before. Um, yeah, he is opening some incredible doors. I mean, I saw him speak. I went and spoke at the Shamanic Astrology Conference, and he spoke there. Yeah. You know, and that whole thing, like, I got to speak before my teacher, Daniel, whatever. I was, like, opening for the dude, and then the opening act before me was, like, whoa, wait, what? He changed my life like in a moment. And then like bringing that in through my thing instead of falling into the envy or whatever. But I've opened a study with him since then. He's just become a dear brother and mentor. And his research into this cycle is really important, I feel, for us to know more about how Venus is evolving through her dance, how Mars is evolving through his, and therefore the yin and the yang, and the celebration of the two. I'm gonna bring one more piece in about relationship this year, is that Juno and Jupiter made conjunction this year. Yes. And that's the first time since 2009. Won't happen until 2023. Right, because 2009 was actually the last three Friday the 13th year like we have this year. And their conjunction was was May 16th at 14 degrees, 46 minutes Leo. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is the very same place. I mean, 14 degrees, 55 minutes Leo is the second Venus-Mars conjunction on August 31st, right? Right. And that Lamas point of the Zodiac, yes. the place of abundance and harvest. And they started Venus and Mars anyway on February 21st in the very early degrees of Aries, new beginnings. Right. And so we see this fire sign thing happening. And as Adam and Gary will show us, I imagine, in this presentation, which, by the way, $20, folks, like, get on that. <laughs> Absolutely. That's, that's, that's a beautiful sharing. And I, I value that so much. I can't wait for that. Um, but Venus and Mars, their first conjunction was like this. Mm-hmm. This next one on August 31st, longitudinally aligned, but latitudinally, which you only see when you watch the sky, really, like this. Yes. And then they come back together. Yes. And so that story that they're bringing to us and, and helping us enter into is so beautiful. I can't wait to speak with you more about that, Adam. But since we're running out of time here, there's, there's one more thing um, I was hoping that you could share with us. Because, you know, th- this process that we'll be going through in this group 
it is a process of, of release and return. And there is a calling to, to enter that shadow, not to run from it, to dive through the wave, to find the peaceful waters on the other side. Yes. And oftentimes, you know, Chiron can be a guide for us in these kinds of processes. And this is another book that you've written um, about Chiron and the heart. And I haven't read that yet. I actually ordered my copy last night. But I feel that um, that would be a good place for us to leave off is why? <laughs> why heal when, <laughs> when sometimes it can be so painful? Yeah. So the book is called Chiron, the Wisdom of a Deeply Open Heart. Um, it's a book, again, that arose out of, of a client experience. You can't visually see Chiron, so there was no night sky observation that's possible. But for me, that's where the book really rose. A lot of work. Plus, I have Chiron natally prominent for me. I have Chiron very tight conjunction to my north node. So it's a big part of my dharma in this life and what I meant to embody and put forward. So it's a, it's a beautiful question that gets right to the heart of the matter, Brett, when you say why. There's two reasons why a person would choose to go into the shadow, their own shadow self, a, a, a person would choose to heal. One, because the person doesn't have a sufficient relationship with their pain. In other words, that old saying, the squeaky wheel gets the grease. Mm. When, I'm in, when something's hurting emotionally, physically, energetically, even spiritually, psychically, when something's hurting, I'm going to want to do something about it because I don't want to hurt. I don't want to be uncomfortable. So that's, a, that's the first reason why a human being would want to go into the shadow, to, to get to the source, the actual root of the discord. The Buddhists call it the word suffering, the, the pain, the hurt, the sorrow, the, the negative emotions. The, but the second reason that other people choose to go into it, not because it's painful, but because in their truth, they want to experience more of who they are while alive in this incarnation. So rather than being motivated by the pain of suffering and emotional distraught or physical pain, like, you know, injuries that have me in bed for three years, right? Or mm. being, being depressed, like, you know, clinically depressed for many, many years. That's a form of pain. Okay, so, so that's the first reason. Again, the second reason is because I want to experience more of where of who I am, and I've come to learn. And I'm, I'm just speaking, I'm speaking generically here about this second type of person. Uh, is I know that the root of where of where I'm keeping more of me kind of under the radar or suppressed is in the shadow. So I'm going to proactively go there. Hmm. Rather than wait for another, you know, relationship breakup or another physical injury, hmm. another um, dear friend dying all of a sudden and not having them in my life anymore or losing a bunch of my finances. You know, I'm not going to wait for that. I want to proactively go there and start looking for it.
Absolutely, right? Things happen for us instead of to us when we summon our evolution instead of just surrender to the things that come. And they both work. They're both genius here in the Earth game, but why not intentionally evolve and participate with this calling here? Yes, and there's a timing for these things. You know, there's there's a natural timing. I can want all I want to go to this next level of my consciousness, but if I'm not cellularly wired to open that door until another five years, well, great, then I just found that out. I don't have to go there. I can focus my attention on other things and it will show up later if I'm still committed to it. So the right. work is really about going from the feeling of uh, the, the experience or the, the unconscious belief, not the conscious, but the unconscious belief of sort of being a victim to my condition into becoming empowered, not through a bunch of Superman or Superwoman heroics, but being willing to stay wide-eyed and open-hearted to the vulnerability of hurting, and out of that is born a flower of courage and 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 strength, inner strength. So I call it. It's from moving from the wound into the medicine. What a beautiful expression of flower of courage. <laughs> I mean, that says so much about what we're talking about here. It does so clearly, folks. You and I have a lot of Adam. Gainsburg reading to do. You can find the Venus book and the Chiron book and other writings of Adams. You can find meditation CDs at his beautiful website, soulsign.com. Skyastrology.com is the place to go to find this conference. Sorry, skyastrologyconference.com is the place to go to find about this this $20 sharing that's coming up. Get on that, seriously. And as far as participating with this 13th flower Venus Sinotic cycle sharing, which is is free, is a gift. It'll feature many interviews like this and a lot of teachings and music uh, from Maria Stark and others and art. Um, you can subscribe to the YouTube playlist that this will be posted on or go to my website, morethanastrology.com. Scroll down a little bit past my storytelling podcast episodes and you will see a 13 flower section. There's a, a public Facebook group you can join. There's a YouTube playlist you can subscribe to and a SoundCloud playlist to subscribe to for the audio sharings. Um, there's one more thing I wanted to say, Adam, before we close, if you have two minutes. Yeah. And it's yeah, it's just to look at this chart here because in this fix yourself to fix the world, you know, there's heal yourself to heal the world. Yeah. yeah. And so many people in my community, because this is what we do, are in deep healing processes right now. Oh yeah. And I'm seeing this in men and women alike, of course, but it really resonates when I started looking into this cycle and to see that that last Scorpio exterior conjunction, which plot spoiler here, but that is the death and rebirth moment of Anana in the great story that we will be journeying into the last time in Scorpio, mm-hmm. right? Which is kind of where you want to have a death and rebirth. But during Venus's underworld passage in Scorpio, when she was gone, when she was furthest from the earth, mm-hmm. we lost three women in our community here. Yes. Um, who all transitioned and all in the water. And when I look back to this cycle, um, when, when, when she's doing that exterior conjunction, Scorpio, we bring in like the burning times and some of the you know other inquisitions and just pretty heavy times on earth. Mm. And I have some dear friends and some clients as well who are literally expressing physical sores like burn marks and dreaming about these burning times and whatever. And it really feels like in a sense, this is part of our archetypal karma that we are purging now 
to bring ourselves into more beautiful and trusting and intimate, loving relationship. Mm. So seeing how the masculine can can support the feminine in this quest, how they can really do it together is so important to me. Mm. And when we look into a lot of the astrological alignments, especially Uranus revolution and Eris, goddess of discord, coming together in this cycle for the first time since 1927, which was when that Scorpio thing first began and it's just ending. So I look forward to sharing so much more. And Adam, thank you so much. Uh, I really hope we can get you back on here to share more. And when we get into the astrological stuff, I look forward to also showing off your incredible software, which for you astrologers out there, pick up Sky Engine. It's part of Intrepid Software, and uh, it allows you to do all of these phases of Venus, that is some of Adam's work, um, not only from Adam's um, standpoint, but from the shamanic astrology, from Gary Caton's heroic journey vision, from a traditional vision. It's very uh, easy to play with. And then the software itself, it is like the most incredible software for actually seeing how the planets move. Mm-hmm. You can just animate the thing real time and it's almost like zooming out and watching the solar system. So I'll be showing off that software a lot during the course of this thing. Oh, uh, I love having that. And where can where can astrologers find your software if they're interested? Yeah, in? the, the software is at, at uh, intrepidastrologysoftware.com. All right. Yeah. Well, thank you again. We didn't even get to unfold so much of the astrological stuff we were talking about before we hit record, but I think that's that's wonderful for where we are in this journey right now, yeah. and hopefully I can bring you back in to go into those places sometime I would love down the road. I would love All right, brother, from my heart to yours, thank you so much. Love and planets, <laughs> I will see you in space. See you in space. Surprise.
Thank <laughs> you.